We're in Jeremiah. Uh, and we've been in Jeremiah for a while. And uh, Jeremiah is just this beautiful reminder that we all need to be stretched and, and shaken out of these dull moral habits that we've found ourselves sliding into. And Taylor did a great job in week one of just encouraging us to find purpose and what does that look like for us. And over the last couple of weeks, we've kind of been unpacking uh, purpose and, and potential and, and vision and, and how God believes in us so much. And so what I realize is that we can want to be used by God, but never really put ourselves in a, in a situation where we're prepared to be used by God. It's, it's one thing to think, oh, that'd be great. I want to find my purpose. It's another thing to actually be prepared for our purpose. And this morning, we're going to talk about what preparation looks like for us as followers of Christ. What does it look like for us to wake up every day and go, God, use me. My, my life is ready. I'm, I'm postured in a position of, uh, of obedience as an open and willing vessel to be used by you. So just point me in different directions. And we're going to look this morning at Jeremiah 18. And in context, what we know and kind of summarizing the last several weeks is that Jeremiah has been called to be the voice of God. God said, if you'll just open your mouth, I'll give you the words. And he says, you're going to be a prophet to the nations. And we know that Jeremiah protested. He said, I'm just a kid. I'm just a youth. I, I can't do what you're asking me to do. And God says, just, just trust me in this. And over the next several chapters, we, we see how God begins to work in his life, how his calling begins to take shape and begins to create form. And God's promises become true in his life. And, and it's exciting to see the journey that he's on because it's hard. And if you're calling a nation to repentance, you're not going to win a lot of friends. And so Jeremiah is persecuted and it's challenging, but he sees God's faithfulness in his life. And in Jeremiah 18, we come to an interesting passage. Jeremiah 18.1 says, this is the word of the Lord. Came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down at once to the potter's house and there I will reveal my words to you. So I went down to the potter's house and there he was working away at the wheel. Jeremiah Throughout the scriptures has this artistic imagination. His imagination was used uh, for, for, to reinforce his prophetic vision, uh, his vocation. And, and we find that Jeremiah sees the world through the lens of an artist. And I love that about him. I love that as he's uh, talking through and walking through these things, he begins to see the world in a way that maybe we don't expect. Because I love dreamers and makers. I love creators and, and artists. I love people who, through uh, artistic means, can shape and form the world. And, and, and Jeremiah is walking into this moment where God is calling him to come down to the potter's house. And this command comes with a promise, like most of God's commands. If you'll do this, this is what happens. And he says, Go to the potter's house, and it's there that I will speak. And, and right off the bat, I immediately just go, what are you doing, God? If God says, go down the street to the gas station, and then I'll talk to you, I go, well, God, you can talk to me here. In fact, I already heard you, so you could have just continued that sentence. You didn't have to stop. Like, why are you asking me to do something else? And the cynic in me or the immature child in me is like, Maybe I'll just hang out here on the couch, and if God can speak to me here, he can also speak to me here. And if it's that important, he'll just talk to me here. And so uh, I miss God most often because that's the inner dialogue that I'm having with God. And God's like, just forget it. You know what I mean? I'll just When you're obedient, then I'll speak. But Jeremiah doesn't hesitate in Scripture. He says, go down to the potter's house, and it's there I'll speak. And I think Jeremiah is attentive and sensitive to God's direction. And it's his attentiveness and his, uh, and his ability to hear from God that we all of a sudden see that God speaks the clearest and the loudest. And, and God tells him, get up, go down to the potter's house. When you get there, I'm going to speak. And, and, and in the 7th century in Israel, 
Everyone would have known where the potter lived, right? It, it was a, a very obvious thing. The, the, they, they knew where he was. They knew where he was working. In fact, cities would often uh, position themselves uh, near or around the potter because the potter was essential to community. It was essential to life. Uh, it was an essential part of, uh, of their livelihood. And, and without the potter, the community uh, didn't really have the resources it needed to, uh, to thrive. So, I mean, if you could imagine right now, like, no pottery, no cups, no bowls. You're just, I guess, holding coffee in your hands, sipping, you know, from your, your palms, hoping it's not too hot. Uh, my day, every day starts with oatmeal. Uh, so imagine, you know, oatmeal with no bowl. Uh, it's, it's, it's anarchy. Uh, we couldn't live. We couldn't survive without pottery. It's necessary for uh, not just our survival, but for us to, to sort of get by and, and certainly our convenience. And no bowls, plates, cups. And all of a sudden we find really quickly how important the potter is. Beyond that, the invention of pottery actually shaped and changed society forever. You may not contemplate this, and I certainly don't contemplate it often, but before pottery, everyone were just uh, wandering tribes going from one food supply to another. They would go to where the food was, and maybe it was a drought or a famine that would push or move them, and, and they would have to go, and, 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 and there was no time to develop anything, no time to settle in and, and make home. It was just move over here, consume the resources here, and then go here and do the same. Whatever you could hold or carry or get was what you got. Water couldn't be stored. Grain couldn't be stored. Bowls couldn't be created. Families couldn't eat. And so everyone became nomads. And with pottery, it made it possible for people to stay in one place. With pottery and the invention, people could then settle. Grain could be stored and water could be held and and food could be cooked and served. And all of a sudden, society started to evolve and, and, and change. Without pottery, life was reduced to whatever you can carry or manage on your own. And now, all of a sudden, with the potter and what he's creating with his own hands, he starts making life easier, more convenient for communities to develop. And so when Jeremiah is called to go to the potter's house, he would go, oh, yeah, that's down the street. I know where that's at. He probably knew the potter. Oh, yeah, that's Steve. You know, he's making pottery today. I guess I'll pop by and say hi. And what's interesting is that every pot is an art form. Now, Jeremiah wouldn't have seen it as that way, I don't think. But today, we have pottery as, as art forms. Like we have some bowls in our house and I don't know what they are. Are they jade possibly? I just know they're light green and they're on a shelf and it's a display shelf and I was just told that they were um, valuable. I don't know if it's sentimental or uh, monetary but I don't use them, right? Because I don't want to be the one who messes up that. So uh, I don't touch them. So if I'm scrambling for a bowl, I like in a cinematic way I go, oh, and I look over and I'm like, nope, I can't do it. And I have this dialogue like you're going to be the guy because they're old, and it'll probably crack as soon as they use it. It's art, right? But Jeremiah couldn't have contemplated bowls as art. There was a separation of what was functional and what was beautiful. And, and, and for society, for generations, pottery uh, was, was, was what was useful, and, and then there was things that were beautiful. You wouldn't gaze upon a piece of, of, of a cup, a coffee cup. Couldn't imagine a witty saying or, you know, a cute little picture of a cat or whatever. Like, it was different. And I'm sure someone uh, a lot earlier in time probably married uh, beauty and form, but Steve Jobs really got the credit. When he created the iPhone, he said, you're going to take a telephone. We're all like, what's a telephone? Why do we need a pocket telephone? And, and I mean, make it beautiful, and, and art and beauty begin to form. Now, I mean, we have a, an air fryer. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I'll cut up a potato and make fries without the guilt of grease. And, and it's not just an air fryer, though. It's white. Matches the kitchen. 
right? It's beauty, it's form, it's function. It has little gold, and uh, I think a celebrity designed it. And it's like, it can't just be an air fryer, right? We bring utensils and bowls and cups. They all have to match. Everything is beautiful now. Jeremiah couldn't have contemplated it. For centuries, it was a separation of beauty and form. And, and, and Jeremiah walks in, and he sees the potter at work. It's just a daily job. He's just logging time, doing what he was required to do by the community. And, and, and all of a sudden, he walks in, and he sees them. But something's wrong. In Jeremiah 18.3, it says, So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working away at the wheel. But the jar that he was making from the clay became flawed in the potter's hands. So he made it into another jar, as it seemed right for him to do. Now, highlighting, noting, mentally noting, I want you just to take that last little bit, as it seemed right for him to do, and just file that away. But in context, what's happening is Jeremiah goes down, he sees the man working, and the man was most likely a second, third, maybe fourth generation potter. I mean, his grandfather, great-grandfather, great-grandfather probably taught him how to shape and form pottery. And he's following suit. He's doing what he's been taught and trained to do. And, and I'm sure he's, just, he's good at it. He's probably not bad at it, as anyone who does something uh, professionally should be. He's good at it, but something happens. It turns out badly. We don't know what. We don't know why. But he's shaping this thing up, and all of a sudden, it turns bad. Now, I don't know a whole lot about pottery, I'll be honest. And I didn't do a lot of research I know that the, uh, the classic movie Ghost made pottery seem pretty awesome for a moment, uh, but I think pottery had its time, and, and it, it, maybe it's due a resurgence, and maybe you can make that happen. I don't know a lot about it, but what I do know is that I've tried to make things, not pots, but I've made things before that didn't work out. And generally, if I put time and energy into it and even money and it doesn't work out or work the way I want it to, I get frustrated. Anybody throw things in the room? <laughs> I get mad. Does it work? It's done. It's broken. There's like this story while Margie's not in the room where she was making brownies and uh, they were dietary. She comes in, we'll just change the subject. There's dietary restrictions for me. And so she was making these brownies and Estella was there, uh, my daughter, and uh, she made them. I'll tell it real fast. She made them and something didn't work and she got mad and she threw it away, right? And then the story is she got it out of the trash and made them anyway and didn't tell me and she's coming in the room. And all of a sudden, we have brownies. <laughs> Did you hear any of that? Good. (laughs) There's something in our human nature. When something doesn't go the way we want, we toss it out. Refrigerator breaks. Instead of fixing it, we just go buy a new one. Something doesn't work, we just toss it. And, And there's something inside of us in our modern society where it's easier for us to get new than it is to repair old. And we start to take that same mentality into other people. You're broken, so I'm done. I'll find somebody else. And I don't want to be insensitive at all, but it's, it, the divorce rate's high. It's two, three, four people. We're divorcing. We're moving. And we're all broken. So that's the quickest thing we need to know is that if you're tossing someone out because they're broken and you're taking someone else in, they're broken too because you're broken. And we're all broken. But in our mentality, we're like, that's bad. That doesn't work. Toss it. Pick up new. And all of a sudden, we're starting fresh. And that's not what Jeremiah is describing Jeremiah is actually describing a potter who's working on something. His heart and soul is in it. It doesn't pan out, and he doesn't toss it. What's he do? He remakes it as it seems right to him. To me, that means it's just common sense that you would just reshape it and not dispose of it. We're a culture of disposing broken things. The potter was simply starting over with the same clay, just making something else. Because here's what I know is that nothing is wasted in the right hands. 
Nothing. Nothing is wasted if it's in the right hands. And I've seen a lot of ugly pottery, but I've never seen a useless piece of pottery, right? It may be like an ashtray that your kid made in middle school. I don't know why that was a thing ever, but they made an ashtray. It's like, maybe it's not an ashtray, you know what I mean? Maybe it's a cup. (laughs) Maybe it's a place to put your ladle when you're cooking soup. I don't know. But nothing is useless. Nothing is useless. And in the right hands, God makes all things for his purpose, that everything has purpose and everything has potential in the hands of the creator. And there's an old story about a man who was carrying two pots down to get water, and he would walk several miles, and he would come back, and he would come back with water because the water source was far from his house, and he would carry these pots every day, and over time, one of the pots became cracked, and so he would walk down with two empty pots, he would come back with a pot and a half. And he would do that day after day, and finally his neighbor said, hey man, why don't you just get a new pot, or why don't you fix it? It's broken, and obviously you're losing a lot of water, and it's a lot of wasted time and energy. Why don't you just solve the problem? And the guy said, look that way, look towards the water, look at that path. Do you see all the greenery? Do you see all the flowers? Do you see all the plants growing? And the neighbor's like, yeah, and he said, that's the leak of my pot, watering the flowers along the way, because nothing is useless when it's placed in the right hands. That God takes all things and makes it for his good if we'll allow him to because nothing is wasted. Jeremiah 18.5 says that the word of the Lord came to me. House of Israel, can I not treat you as this potter treats his clay? This is the Lord's declaration. Just like the clay in the potter's hands, so are you in my hands, house of Israel. What's fascinating about this to me is that Jeremiah was observing an artist at work. And then the Lord spoke. He's watching a guy do his job, and then the Lord spoke. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're doing something, and it just feels mundane, and all of a sudden you have this revelation, and it changes everything. When God speaks, it shapes and changes our worldview. See, what we think is mundane, what we think is average, what we think is normative, God begins to infuse something that causes us to see beyond the realm of what we can see in front of us. And we begin to see things the way God sees them and it shapes and changes things. It stops being about pottery and it started being about God's ability to do something beautiful with his people. It wasn't about a pot and it wasn't about a clay and it wasn't about a wheel and it wasn't about some guy's hand shaping it and wet and all gross and everything. It's not about that. It's about the messiness of life and how God wants to get involved in our mess and he wants to shape and change us. And Jeremiah had seen a potter at work all of his life but today he was seeing something new. He was seeing something fresh. He saw God at work making his people for his own glory, a people for God. He saw God willing to get into the mess of people's lives, creating them in the image of himself. Not only useful, but beautiful. That's the wonderful thing about God, is that God marries form and beauty. He takes the form and the beauty and he, and he shapes it into something that's wonderful and it magnifies him. And in Ecclesiastes 3, it says he has made everything appropriate in his time. He has also put eternity in the hearts, but man cannot discover the work God has done from beginning to end. In the NIV, it says, he has made everything beautiful in his time. God makes everything beautiful. Look at the mess that you have in your life. Maybe now, maybe in the past. If not, there's a mess coming. God wants to make everything beautiful, but it's in his time. And that's the frustrating part. That's the tension that we walk with. Because his time might be in your lifetime, and it might not be. But God is going to take everything and and turn it around to be beautiful in his time. If we'll trust him, God has a plan and he has a will and will work everything out in his time. Jeremiah 18, 7. 
In one moment I might announce concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will uproot, tear down, or destroy. However, if that nation I have made an announcement about turns from evil, I will relent concerning the disaster I had planned to do to it. At another time I announce that I will build and plant a nation or a kingdom. However, if it does what is evil in my sight, by not listening to my voice, I will relent concerning the good I had said I would do to it. So now, say to the men of Judah and to the residents of Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, I am about to bring harm to you and make plans against you. Turn now each from your evil ways and correct your ways and your deeds. In short, put your lives in my hands. And let me start over with you. A lot of people think that Jeremiah is a hopeless doom and gloom book of the Bible, but it's really about hope. Every time God gives a warning, he's also giving a promise. He's saying, yeah, I'm going to bring destruction if you don't turn from evil. And I've got good promise and I want to plant and build, but you've got to stay good. You've got to listen to my voice. But we focus on the bad, don't we? We love to focus on the bad. God wants to build and he wants to plant if we'll be obedient. But we have to put our hands and our lives in his hands. And, and you've sinned and you've made mistakes and you've been disobedient towards God. Let him reshape you. You've made mistakes and you've failed at listening to God's voice. Let him remake you. And some of us, we've been large cups and small cups. Some of us have been wine glasses and we've been stout glasses and we've been breakfast cups. Some of us have been big bowls and small bowls and salad bowls and little serving dips. And we've been shaped and shaped. And the longer we're alive and following Christ, he forms and shapes us. And I don't know what you are now, but what you are now probably won't be what you are later if you'll let God keep shaping you and forming you because we have purposes in our lives. Your purpose today is not the same as tomorrow. And you may want to hold this drink and you may have to hold that drink later and it may be this food and that food. And he's shaping you and forming you if we will allow him to. However, as Jeremiah is warning, our stubbornness, our hubris, our pride prevents us from placing our lives on the, uh, on the hands or the wheel of the potter and letting him work on us. We often do not turn from our wickedness because of our own pride. Jeremiah 18, 12 says, but they will say, it is hopeless. We will continue to follow our plans, and each of us will continue to act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. God desires to build and to plant. He desires to do good in our lives and through our lives. If we're obedient to him, we are containers created by God, to be used by God. And if we'll allow him to, he'll shape us and reshape us and reshape us and reshape us. Isaiah 64, yet Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We all are the work of your hands. You look around this room, you're the work of God's hands. You're here because God shaped you. He's formed you, you've made mistakes. He's like, that's fine, let's just work this out again. You failed miserably, okay, Come back to the wheel. Let's work at it again. If you ever feel stuck, let God reshape you. If you ever feel broken, let him remake you. If you feel useless, let him recreate something inside you. Because that's what the great creator does. God, the great creator, creates and he makes and he dreams and he imagines and he shapes and he forms. And Jeremiah's most powerful message is found in the first chapter. Jeremiah 1.1, if you'll remember back, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you prophet to the nations. What's interesting here is that the verb formed is translated from the Hebrew word yatser. 
Y-A-T-Z-A-R or S-A-R, depending on what you look at. It's a Hebrew word. It's a Hebrew word that can be replaced with shaped or, or, or formed. Yatar is this incredibly descriptive word that actually means to take shape by squeezing. And it's a pottery term. That God in Genesis and Jeremiah 1 is using a pottery term to shape and to form Jeremiah. And later he takes him to the potter's house and he says, I'm going to shape and form you just like that. And he's using this word to describe this reality that Jeremiah first learned to understand life by being shaped and formed and being formed by God. And now God was using the same word to help us understand what he wants to do in our lives. God wants to shape and to form you, and he did so before you were formed in the womb, and he wants to keep reshaping and keep reforming, and he wants to keep making and creating and recreating. And I don't know a lot about pottery, but I know until you fire it in the kiln, it's still pliable, it's still rubbery, it can still be shaped and formed, and it can be uh, infinitely shaped and infinitely formed, and it's a material of endless possibilities and, and moldability and flexibility and responsiveness. And it's not lost on us that God is using clay as a metaphor for our lives because until it's fired, until it's done, until it's finalized, it just keeps getting shaped. And though God shaped humankind and he breathed life into its nostrils, God did not fire the clay from which he made us. Therefore, he keeps shaping us and he keeps reforming us. And not one of us is only a tile or a pitcher or a cup that we keep being shaped, we keep being formed, and God labors tirelessly at the wheel of our lives. And he looks at your life and he finds your strengths. And he looks at your life and finds character flaws and weaknesses. And he wants to reinforce those strengths and he wants to work on our flaws. And he keeps working and working and working and working. Because pottery is always changing to find new proportions and shapes and functions. Therefore, God keeps looking for us going, what are we going to do with you next? What exciting things are we going to be involved in next? As we reshape and we find our purpose, we see that God keeps using us to do new and exciting and, and, and great things. God is a potter at work at the wheel of our lives. We're the lump of clay. Lump, lump of clay being formed and reformed. And Jeremiah was shaped and formed and now preaching to others that it's possible for you too. It didn't just happen for me, but it can happen for you as well. And, and we're not a, a random accumulation of cells. We're, we've been formed and shaped by a loving and, and skilled creator who shaped and formed you and I and keeps shaping and forming us. And in Genesis, at creation, we find that God took something, uh, uh, took nothing and created something. In Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. There's nothing empty and formless. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. We know what happens next. God begins to speak these things into existence. He creates something from nothing. There was not light, and he has light, and darkness, and separation, and, and land, and sea, and water, and a solar system we've yet to even discover. And God does all of this from nothing. How much more do you think he can do with what we bring to the table? If he created the universe with nothing, what do you think he can do with our misshapen lives? With our mistakes and our failures, the God of the universe is more than capable of creating something beautiful and new in us if we'll allow him to. But we have a choice. We have free will. We don't have to be shaped and formed by God. There are countless potters willing to shape and form you and I. Countless potters waiting for us to place our lump of clay under their wheel and let them just shape us and form us. And we do this in culture and media and society and on and on and on. And we get misshapen. We get bent out of shape and, and we find ourselves useless because we're shaped and formed in society or culture or the world. And God's saying, 
I created you. In fact, in Genesis, he continues, after he created the universe, he says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock and the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created him male and female. That we were created in God's image. So what better image for us to be reshaped in? You ever bought aftermarket parts or something? We had an old iPhone, and I thought it cracked. I was like, I'm going to replace the screen. Don't replace an iPhone screen. Just buy a new phone or maybe take it to a professional. Bought an aftermarket screen, you know, and uh, I spent hours. I mean, that's meticulous work. That's hard stuff. And, and it just didn't work out, right? Aftermarket parts just don't always work. That a lot of us are trying to use aftermarket parts to piece our lives back together. God's saying, I created you in my image. So who better to reshape us? And what better of an image for us to be reformed in? And yet, we keep coming back to other potters. And we keep coming up empty and disappointed and sad. And God's going, you've chosen the wrong wheel. The wrong potter's got his hands on you. And it's selfish. And, and it's, it's self-serving. And it's not glorifying and honoring me. And he's saying, if you'll just take your lump and put it on my wheel, things are going to work in a way you couldn't even imagine. And a lot of people, we come to church because we want to feel better. Maybe we want to check it off our box, or we want to have, you know, insurance for the future. Like, we're just going to come to church and sing some songs, and I'll leave feeling better about myself. And, and the reason we come to church is that we come to church to put the lump of clay that is our lives on the potter's wheel time after time. It's why we close with repentance. It's why we close with communion. It's why we constantly push Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's first and foremost in our lives. And we come in here as people who have been misshapen and pushed around and, and, and out of shape and, and different forms. And God says, no, we're going to come in here together. And together, collectively, we're going to say, God, reshape me. Reshape me. And some of us, because we've placed ourselves in the kiln and we fired our, our, our own pot because we said, this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do and nobody's changing me. We get chipped and we get busted up and we get broken and we go out into the world and we, we get banged around and we come back in here and we're like, what do I do with all these pieces? And God says, nothing's wasted in my hands. And so he gets us back and he shapes us again and we come here each week to lay our lives down at Jesus' feet. But many of us, we think we're too far gone or too broken for God to use. Many of us think we've just broken too much or we became too misshapen or we've had problems or circumstances that are just too far beyond. And, and I don't know why we imagine that because uh, we live in this universe that we're still discovering and we understand the vastness of, of the world and, and yet still in our uh, finite minds we go, well, I'm probably too far gone for God. I mean, sure, he created the universe from nothing, but you know, I've made some mistakes. And so we begin to imagine that we're that broken thing that can't be repaired, that can't be fixed, that can't be reshapen. We give up on ourselves. And often we give up on ourselves long before God has ever given up on us because he doesn't ever give up on us. God keeps calling us back. He keeps inviting us into uh, the potter's house to be reshapen. And, and we go, no, I'm not worthy, or no, I can't do it, or no. And God's going, that's, that's, that's my invitation. That's what I do best. We mess things up. God fixes them. That's the way the world works. We're good at sinning, and God is remarkable at forgiving and with grace and, and mercy, if we'll just repent, he'll keep planting things and doing good in our lives. And if everything we're harvesting is bad, we've got to go back and look. What are we doing with our lives? God wants to do good. He wants to do wonderful things in our lives. And so we've got to keep coming back and saying, God, reshape me and reform me. But we think we're too far gone. 
And there's this ancient art of uh, kintsugi, which is a, a Japanese art form, where they take broken pots and they remake them, and they often use um, uh, dusted uh, high-end things, gold and, and, uh, and silver and platinum, and they recreate this pottery using these things, accenting and highlighting the brokenness. And in many times, they'll take a bowl that is valuable, that's broken, and they'll replace it or fix it in this method, and it becomes more valuable to the point where people started breaking things just so that they could repair them so that they could become more valuable because it's all about money. And what we realize, though, is if the Japanese can create things that are beautiful and, and highlight and accent the flaws and, and brokenness, why can't God do that? So you think your brokenness is proof that you have made mistakes. Your brokenness is proof that God puts you back together. Your scars aren't proof that you've made bad choices. Your scars are proof that God can make all things beautiful in his time. They're proof that you are alive and that you keep putting your life back on the potter's wheel. The proof that God's not done, that nothing is wasted in the right hands. Where we see something broken, God sees an opportunity to get to work. And we keep going, God, work on me. Work on me. Work on me. But the choice is yours. The choice is mine. Will we place our lives in the potter's wheel? Can we do that together this morning? If you would bow your head and close your eyes. Jeremiah 18.3 says, So I went down to the potter's house. And there he was, working away at the wheel. But the jar that he was making from the clay became flawed in the potter's hands. And so he made it into another jar, as it seemed right for him to do. Creator God, you form us on the wheel of life. As a potter molds the clay, you shape us into holy vessels, bearing the mark of your wise craftings that we may remain strong and useful through years of faithful and obedient service. But God, we're here in this room, and, and I think we're all willing to admit that we're sinners and thought we're a deed in action. We've sinned by things we've done and said. We've sinned in things we should have done and should have said. We're misshapen. Some of us are chipped and broken. But the great creator, we're inviting you to turn your creative potential towards us, to do something beautiful and new in us. Make all things new in our lives. Shape us, form us, so that we may be vessels willing to be used by you. Not start a ministry or join a ministry, but be a ministry to the people that are around us point people to a loving God who never gives up on us, who keeps shaping and forming us, working diligently in our lives so that our lives may be a beacon pointing us to a God who loves us infinitely. So Father, we praise you and we thank you that you don't give up on us. So this morning we place our lives on your wheel to shape and to mold and to form. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.